Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Oh, it's good to be in your house this morning, Lord. It's good to be together. It's good to be reminded of the power that you have. We so quickly forget. We so quickly get short-sighted. And we need reminded. We forget that you are the great healer. And remind us this morning that more importantly than our physical healing, our spiritual healing. Lord, as we look at this passage this morning, I pray that you'd remind us. Put upon our heart the understanding that you were most concerned and are most concerned for our spiritual well-being. We thank you that we can be together, to gather together in your name, to sing your praises. And Lord, as we read Matthew, I pray that you would remind us that this story was just a powerful story of a group of people who the scriptures say had faith. Give us faith this morning to watch you work. In your name we pray. Amen. The passage this morning is from Matthew chapter 9. It may sound a bit familiar. There's, uh, there's also a Luke and a Mark. Uh, the same story, a little different uh, details. It says, Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your mat and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given, so, given such authority to man. Lord, we come to you this morning. We're thankful to be in your house, thankful to be together. And Lord, we have heard the testimony of your people. And it seems, Lord, a bit maybe selfish to think we couldn't just have already heard that testimony and leave and be reminded of your love. And it almost seems selfish to share a word. And yet, you have put a word on my heart. And so, Lord, I ask this morning that you would give wisdom to that word as well. We have watched you work in our midst 
We have seen your hand upon your people. We are watching you work around us. Lord, we ask this morning that you would soften our hearts. Soften our hearts to hear your word this morning. Be, remind us, Lord, of where we're at in life. Lord, help us to put what's most important in the, in the right spots in our own life. That we might honor you in everything we do or say. I'm reminded of Ann's brother, Paul, and I, I'm thankful, Lord, for those who serve in that way. Who serve you every day, pointing others in that direction. May we be a people that focus first and foremost on our spiritual walks. Lord, open our eyes. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And you may run if you're a kid. No, just kidding. That's you too, Sarah. You can run if you want. Which way are you going, Warren? Take the long way home. <laughs> I think there's a song in there somewhere. <laughs> Anybody else that acts like you're uh, six or seven? Yeah, you can go too. <laughs> uh, might count. Yeah, you have to listen to your wife. She said you have to stay, so sorry. I tried. That's right. <laughs> so, good morning. Oh, hey, we have a countdown, huh? Yeah, let's do that. things you thank God for today, what would you have? In Helen's case, every day for two and a half years, she woke up on the floor of a jagged metal shipping container inside a prison where she was beaten and tortured regularly. But one of the most incredible stories for me is her response to a beating that very nearly took her life. You see, Helen had been writing notes of encouragement and sending them to fellow prisoners, putting scriptures on them that she could memorize. And the guards came to her and they said, Helen, where is your Bible? And she said, I don't have one. And they said, is it in your head? She said, yeah, it's in my head. And they said, well, we're going to have to beat it out of you. They proceeded to grab Helen and, and they dragged her to a courtyard, placed her in the middle and started to beat her with wooden batons. What she does next has single-handedly changed my Christian walk forever. You see, in the middle of this beating, Helen stops and looks at the guy hitting her and says to him, I do not hate you, for you are just carrying out an order. But you need to know that I'm carrying out an order too. And that's not to renounce Jesus. So carry on. I mean, when they were finished beating her, they simply threw her body back into the metal shipping container. And as she lay on the floor in the container, 
she began to sing the following. Thank you for the cold nights. Thank you for the hot days. Thank you for the hunger, for the sickness. Thank you for the bugs that bite my body. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thankfulness. Have you ever stopped for a minute to think about what role thankfulness plays in your everyday? You see, I ask God for a lot. But in comparison, I thank Him for very little. The more I think about people like Helen Bahani and the persecuted church, the more it begins to dawn on me that it's actually reversed. You see, they thank God for almost everything. And in comparison, they ask Him for very little. And this is because they're not following an institution called Christianity. They're following a living God. We're following a living God who walked the earth and who today walks the earth through His Spirit. Our gratitude, our thankfulness, and the level by which we measure it should not be based off a set of rules or expectations and buzzwords, I guess, created by this Christian pop culture. It should be defined by Jesus Christ who walked with broken people, loved the unlovable, stood in the face of religion, led with a character and set of principles that he would not compromise for anyone or any deal. Didn't seem to care about things like brand, fashion label, return on investment, number of friends on Facebook or followers on Instagram. And didn't mind looking awkward if saying no meant the right outcome was achieved. And on top of all that, loved a dying and broken world with a passion that could not be filled, stopped, watered down or contained. Jesus Christ, the Saviour of the world, who ultimately laid down His life so that a sinful, broken and dislocated group of people could have eternal life with Him. And for that, I'm forever thankful. Amen. I love that video because it helps to put into perspective where our faith needs to be. I don't know about you, but there probably wouldn't be many worse places to be than a metal shipping container for two and a half years. I'm not sure I could say thank you for the bug bites or the abuse. I'm absolutely blown away by Helen's faith. But it does remind me that that's where we're headed. That's where I need to be, right? I need to be willing to be there. Hey, it is working. There we go. Um, so this morning we're going to talk about, again, uh, healing, right? The healing uh, that God gives us and our mission statement. And I, I built this this week. I know you'd be proud of me, right? I don't know if you can see it. Maybe the words don't. That's pretty cool. I like it. I did find some that actually moved, but that was just too hard. I, I, someone who's better than me at PowerPoint might be able to help me out with that. But I wanted to put it in a triangle, that, or, and it reminds us, be a neighbor, 
make neighbors and build God's neighborhood. And if we think about uh, each part of those, uh, each one leads into the other thing, does it not? As we are neighbors to people, we help to make neighbors by inviting them, by encouraging them, by sharing Jesus Christ with them. And as we make neighbors, we build God's neighborhood, right? Which at the end of the day means we bring other people to Christ. And bringing other people to Christ will then, again, help someone else be a neighbor. And the circle's a pretty cool circle. Uh, you, remember, you may remember last week that I talked about uh, Jesus had 12 people that he invested a lot of time and energy into, who then invested a lot of time and energy into others, who then invested uh, a lot of time and energy. And, and we think about how far the gospel has gone to all the ends of the earth because one man invested in 12 men who invested in other people. And it, it kept going. So this morning's story is an interesting story. Um, we may need to practice this story after first service. So if anybody has a mat, I got a guy. I got a Sunday school teacher that needs to get up to the second floor, and he's, he said he might be wounded. So I jokingly told Steve Triana, I said, perfect. We're going we're gonna to learn how to do this today. So I'm looking for four guys and, a, and some kind of rug or something. We can roll them up in it probably like a, a sausage in there <laughs> and a hot dog bun. We're going to get Steve to the second floor. I said, Steve, you're looking kind of old today. You're limping up. And he, I guess he did. I didn't know he had pulled a muscle. And so he's walking around a little gimpy, a little stiff-legged today. And I, I said, and Karen rolled her eyes. So I <laughs> she said, he's doing well today. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we won't be dragging him backwards, okay? I, I promise. <laughs> yeah, I know. The question that I have for you this morning is, how far would you go for a friend? Think about this story. Just so you know, this is the story, the same passage. It's not in the passage today. But it's the same story where uh, this paralytic man is carried by his friends to, uh, to this building where Jesus is preaching. And they can't get in. It's packed. It's a packed standing room only uh, packed place. You know how hard it is to get into those places and then try to try to carry a guy on a mat, right? That's impossible. Uh, and so this is the same story where the, where his buddies somehow get him to the second floor. Um, not sure how how they got him safely to the second floor, but they got him to the second floor up on a roof. They dig a hole in the roof. Remember that that story. They 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 make an opening so they can drop him, not drop him, literally drop him, but allow him to go down where he can be right in front of Jesus without having to go through the whole crowd. And so I'll ask you that question. What would you be willing to do for a friend? How far would you go? Let me ask you an easier question, right? What would you do for a Klondike bar, right? That's an easy question, right? <laughs> that one we don't have trouble with. That one we can answer very quickly. But would you be willing to carry a friend to the master for an opportunity to see him healed? See, we, we're really good at cards. I love cards, right? We, cards are great. 
A nice phone call is awesome. A personal touch uh, maybe with, with prayer is definitely helpful. Even spending time together is even better, right? That's like we're going up the ladder of, of things we would do for someone else. Uh, giving, sending a meal or having a meal together. I think having a meal is really cool. Um, those are all good things. But would you carry your friend on a mat to see them healed? And when you got there, you figured out that the crowd is so big, you'll never get him to Jesus. But there obviously was a way. We used to say, if there's a will, there's a way, right? And these people realized that if they could get their friend to Jesus, if they could get their friend in front of Jesus, that he would heal them. He would heal him. we see that he did. Let me ask you the harder question. What length would you go to lead someone to the saving grace of Jesus? See, this is easy, right? How far would you go to give someone the gospel of Jesus Christ? I wonder how many opportunities in our life, myself included, have been missed because the Holy Spirit was tugging and I wasn't listening. That the Holy Spirit was saying, you need to share the difference that God makes in your life. And I let it fall on the ground. Because we've all been there. It's always interesting to me that when we get to the end, when people get to the end of life, they finally figure out what's most important. No one, this, no one ever sits on the end, sits in their deathbed saying, "I wish I would have worked more out." When it comes to the fact that we understand. We finally get it, but sometimes it's too late. Don't forget our mandate. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations. We have a responsibility, believers in Christ. We have responsibility to share our faith. These are the end days. These are the end times. We're not going to, I don't know when the end is. And maybe we'll never see that in our lifetime. I don't know, you don't know. And if you say you do, I'm concerned. Right? Because scripture is pretty plain. But our goal is to continue to bring others to Christ, to share our faith in a real relationship, not uh, religion, not tradition, not. Uh, if I do A, B, and C, but rather a living faith. A living faith like Helen has. A living faith that says, I will live in a metal container for two and a half years because I will not renounce my faith. I will get beaten within inches of my life because I have it memorized and I won't renounce my faith. We need to make our faith first in our life. 
Did you know when Jesus finally got to this guy, did you see what happens in verse 2? Did you catch that? You see what he says? It says, they brought to Jesus a paralytic lying on a bed, and he saw their faith, their faith, that's the paralytic and his friends, and he said to them, take courage, son. Your wounds are healed. Nope. It's not what he said, is it? He said, take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Let me ask you a question. Are you putting your faith, your spiritual health, in the position that it needs to be? Jesus doesn't say, I'll fix your uh, paralysis so you can get up and walk. The first thing he says is, Take courage, son. Your sins are forgiven. Yeah, you have physical ills, but your spiritual ill is bigger and more important than your physical concern. Let me tell you. I know I'm not telling you something you haven't heard. Every one of us has an expiration date. Every one of us has an expiration date. And I need to tell you that long before you were born, that day was already decided. Not because Dan says so, but because Scripture says so. Psalm 139 talks about every day of my life was recorded in your book. I mean, God knows when we will be born, and he knows when we're going to die. And we're not going to live one second before, uh, longer or shorter than what God has already ordained for your life. Sometimes we get hung up on our physical concerns and let our spiritual concerns go by the wayside. And I'm not saying you don't deal with your physical concerns. What I'm saying is put your spiritual concerns first. Jesus shows this, young, this man who is paralytic, you have a problem, but I want to fix the real problem. And the real problem is your spiritual walk. That's what needs to be forgiven first and foremost. You will not change the day you will die. Try as you may. Scripture says, it's already ordained. It's already set. Here's the birth. Here's your death. God understands that. He knows that. He's already put that in front of us. For most of us, we'd like to think that the things we do make a difference. But I had a teacher. This is just an example that I think about a lot. I had a teacher that used to run, and he would run, and he would run, and he just ran day after day after day. And he was a lean, mean fighting machine, ran and ran and ran, miles after miles after miles. And when he retired, he was in great shape. And he continued to run. And he continued to run well into his 60s. And one day... 
fellow. His health was great. But his date, his expiration date was up. And so I'm not saying don't worry about your health, but rather maybe we need to be a little more concerned about our spiritual health and where that's at. Maybe we need to be a little bit more concerned about what's going on in our spiritual walk and a little less concerned about our physical walk. Because I haven't found anyone who's cheated death. And we're reminded in Scripture that God knows all those things. And He's already ordained those. Things don't happen without God's knowledge and or understanding. And so all that worrying and stress over things that we can't change. All for naught. I promise you, only one person has cheated death. And that is Jesus. He's the only one who came back from the dead and walked the earth again. He's the only one that has been able to even understand that. So I ask you, where do you put your faith? And is your faith first over your physical well-being? That might mean reading your devotions before you go exercise. Or maybe you do it together, even better. Or investing some time and energy in prayer. Worrying a little less about money and a little bit more about your children's spiritual walk. Be careful. The lures are out there, and they're big. And I recognize now as my kids are all this, are all big, that time is short. Time is so short for us to lead our children in the right direction. And what I realize is now that we don't get to get that back, do we? When they grow up, they grow up, and that's what happens. And our time and window is really short. And I'll be honest, I wish I would have changed some of those things in my life at that time. I can't. I can't go back and fix that. I can't go back and work less hours. I can't go back and work not third shift. I can't go back and do those things that maybe um, would have been more helpful for my family. I let my ego get in the way. Silly me, I thought some kind of career would make my life so much better. I learned my lesson, right, the hard way, and as others have learned that lesson. The fact of the matter is, the only thing we'll take to heaven, the only thing you will take to heaven is the soul of someone you lead to Christ. I don't care how much money's in your pocket when you die or in your wallet or in your bank account. I don't care how much stuff you've amassed. 
or how many cars you have or how many guns you have in your whatever. None of those things we will take to heaven except the souls of those we have shared Jesus Christ with and who are going with us. Way too often, we spend way too much time thinking, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll take care of that tomorrow because i got to make the money today. i got to get the lawn mowed. I think about how many times I would get so angry and frustrated. We used to have about three acres of lawn, and it took forever to mow. And I would get so frustrated because it was like six hours of mowing. And I think... If I didn't mow it then, it had been, been there the next day or the next week or the next year. It might have looked like a woods by then, but I wouldn't have had to mow it at all. That's right. Church, we need to begin to put faith first in our life. People catch more than they, more is caught than taught. Our example to our kids and our relatives and our friends is so much more valuable than um, the, the stuff that comes out of our mouth. I can talk to you. I can spout verses all I want. I can talk to you about faith. But the reality is, if I, am I living my faith? Jesus heals this man first in the area of his faith. Second, expect there to be doubters. Expect there to be people in your path who question whether, one, it's the truth, or two, that you've really changed. Right? In this story, there are people pointing the finger. They're pointing the finger at Jesus, and they're saying, this guy, is, he's blasphemy. He's blaspheming God. Expect those people to be in your life. They will be there. They're watching. They're watching to see if you'll buckle. They're watching to see if your faith is real. The reason they do that is because they're, they're one, curious. Two, they're just not sure what's going on. And so they're, they're challenging that idea. Could God be real? Could God be real in your life? Will you live your faith? When these teachers of the law saw Jesus, they said, who is this joker? Who is this guy who says he can forgive sins? I want to challenge you to lean in. Lean in understanding that this is going to be part of your faith. Helen lived in that box for two and a half years, understanding that there would be pain and struggle and trials and problems, and that was part of her faith. She understood that that's what it was going to look like, and she didn't renounce it. My sense is that the last year and a half has been challenging, and I've, I've heard it from people who said, that's been the most challenging time of my life. My faith has been challenged in this last year and a half mine too and i think part of it is that we we recognize that maybe we're not nearly as good or in a good spot or that we have enough faith 
or that our lives are put together as much as we'd like for people to think. And maybe we've sat in our homes concerned about where the world is headed, concerned about a virus, concerned about what's going on around us, questioning what God would do or allow to happen in our lives. And what we're seeing now is the remnants of that. We're seeing people whose faith has been shaken, whose faiths have been challenged, whose faith maybe wasn't really in a good spot at all or was absolutely weak or maybe even non-existent. We've been challenged in this last year and a half. And it's come home to roost. And now I spend a lot of time with people who ask the question or are challenged in the question, where's my faith? Am I going to stand up? What happens if this happens? What happens if the government goes this way? What happens if we have another virus or another variant? Or what happens, what happens, what happens, what happens? And sometimes we're the doubters. Sometimes we're the biggest doubters. We're the ones who are struggling. And all I can say to you is, you need to, one, get right with God. You need to ask for forgiveness. And seek Him like you've never chased after Him before. Jeremiah says, 29.13 is a promise. You will find me if you seek me with all your heart. You can start today, or you can just go home and forget about it, and maybe you can start next week. But eventually, you'll run out of weeks. At some point, you need to get right with God and get spiritually strong. And when we do, and we recognize, I think this story is awesome. I think Jesus does the one-up thing. He flexes his muscles just a little bit, right? It's like, I'm going to heal his sins. Your sins are forgiven. And they're like, ah, he's blasphemy. Oh, by the way, why don't you just grab your mat and go home too. I'll do that one on the, uh, on the other. Yeah, that, it's a bonus, right? And wait, there's more. <laughs> right? That's what he's doing. Jesus is like, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you who I am and who I, who I am and how I have the power. And it says in that passage, and they gave praise to God. Church, we need to be more thankful for the things that God is doing in our life. So often I hear us pray, God, I need help. I'm in a pickle. I'm in a corner. I can't get out. I'm in a hole. And when he delivers us, we quickly forget. We quickly forget that God has delivered us. We quickly forget that he is the one who has ordained uh, an answer, uh, a solution, a way out. 
You remember the story about the ten lepers? The ten lepers, that's in, uh, I don't think I wrote it down. It's in the Bible. No, I did write it down. I lied. I wrote it down. I just forgot to turn the page so I didn't know where it was at. Luke chapter 17. It's a story about ten lepers who Jesus heals. And if you know anything about leprosy, when you had leprosy then, there wasn't a cure. You know what the cure was? Get out of our town. Go live by yourself. Find some leper friends because that's all you're going to have for the rest of your life. That's not a curable disease and there's no medicine to be taken and there's nothing we can do for you. Um, oh, by the way, don't go home and say goodbye to your family. You are done. You need to go. That's how leprosy worked. It was, there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. Um, and good luck. Go find some leper friends because that's what's going to happen. Pretty much in the day, a death sentence. Jesus heals ten lepers. He heals them of their leprosy. He gives them second, a new life, a new opportunity to see their family, a new life to be lived that they weren't guaranteed. He says, go show the, go show the priests. And you remember what happens after that? Yeah. Nine of them went on. I get it, right? They're probably pretty excited. Probably pretty excited to see their family, but only one of them came back and said, thank you. Only one of them came back and praised God that he had healed them of their leprosy. And I asked myself this question because I'm not any better at it than anyone else. Probably one out of ten is probably a good average for me. I'm good at thanking God one out of ten. Thank you, Lord, for the big things, but I'll take care of the small things, or just I'll just assume that they're good. I'll appreciate that the blessings I have are just because. How often do we walk through this life not realizing all the good that has, God has done in our life and all the things that He has changed and all the opportunities He's put in front of us and the protection that He's given us, the food on our tables, a roof over our heads. How often do we praise Him for those? Yeah, we're probably about as good as the lepers, right? Most importantly, how often do we praise him for putting our heart back together? Jesus didn't come to do some cool miracles. He didn't come to be an influencer. He came to die. He understood that his time was ordained. His beginning and end was understood. That God had already had that all sorted out. He came for us. He came for you. He came for me. He came because he knew there was only going to be one way out of the mess that we have made. He came for me. 
He came to this earth and lived a perfect life for me. He took the punishment for me. And what does he ask in return? Tell somebody else. Make disciples. Explain to someone else the difference that God has made in your life. I can remember the time. It wasn't when I came to Christ, but when it was when I really got serious about my faith. I'd played the game. Someone else was telling me a couple weeks ago they played the Jacob game, right? God, I'll trade you. Tell you what I'll do. I'll follow you if um, if you give me this promotion, give me that job, and I'll I'll take I'll do I'll do I'll tell people about you. But there came this spot in my life, this moment in my life when I realized it was the line in the sand. Up until then, it was uh, it was well. My parents had faith, and my grandma was a saint, and really wasn't any downside to having faith, right? Got, I went to church, and it was exciting, and I met all these people. But there came this moment in my life, and there was a line in the sand. And I was an adult. I had three kids. And that line was is direct and open and right in front of me. And I said, and it wasn't in the good times. It wasn't in the good times. It was in the tough times. And I said to God, God, you're either real and I'll serve you for the rest of my life or you're not real and I'm done. I'm walking away. I, I, can, I can tell you where I was at. I know what I was doing. I know exactly when. And it was at that moment that I realized that that's exactly what he wants of us. He wants it all. He wants all of us. Not Sunday morning for an hour. Not sitting in your same spot in the pew every week. Not putting money in an offering plate. He wants us all. This paralyzed man, he wanted his heart. That's what he wants. He wants from you. Your heart, not... What you can give him. You can't do it. You can't give him anything. And if we try to appease our hearts by giving something, we're missing the boat. We don't have what it takes. We can't do it. That's exactly why we need Jesus. We don't have what it takes. I'm going to challenge you to ask yourself, are you putting your faith first in your life? Because if you're putting your faith first in your life, you'll recognize that there are going to be doubters around you. That's just a part of it. And at the end of the day, you'll still give God the praise because he deserves it. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you for your word this morning. I thank you, Lord, that we could come and just watch how you work. And Lord, we think that our physical issues rule the day. And they're easier to see. And really, probably easier to fix. 
people can't see our hearts. We can say the right words. We can act the right way. We can dress nice. And yet maybe our hearts are broken. Our hearts are crushed. Our hearts are hard. You want us first and foremost to give us, to give uh, us to give you a, a heart. And so, Lord, I ask this morning for anyone who hasn't made that decision. Scripture is clear. You, you want uh, to forgive our hearts and our sins. And you'll deal with our physical parts later. Lord, for anyone who's at that spot this morning and wants to begin that relationship, I pray that you urge them and, and challenge them in their own walk of faith to step out and to give you a chance. To allow you to move and work and to change their life. Lord, we thank you for your love and for your healing. In your name we pray.